You're listening to Help, I'm a Freelancer. Today we're talking with the founder of Gerrish Legal, Charlotte Gerrish. Gerrish Legal is a dynamic digital law firm which helps people with things like GDPR, technology law, commercial law, intellectual property, and most importantly, contracts. Charlotte talks about her contract portal, which helps people draft contracts in an automated way. If you stay till the end, she has a discount for you, which is a great tool for freelancers who need to draft contracts for clients. This is a great episode if you're new to freelancing or even if you've been doing it for a little bit and you haven't got a contract in place or you're struggling to know what to put in a service contract with a client. We'll talk about why you need one, the dangers of not having one, the intricacies of what you will have to put in one, and also the different methods you can go about. So Charlotte, if you are hiring a freelancer or contractor, would you look at them a little bit differently if they didn't provide you with a formal contract? That's a really good question, actually. I think often it can sort of depend on the sectors that you're working in and maybe the sort of sophistication of the sort of parties on each side. You know, for example, if it's two kind of sole traders or freelancers just setting up working together that are muddling their way through on things you know you might be a bit more forgiving if there's no contract or no contract in place but I think typically speaking I think freelancers need to kind of have a bit more sort of good faith in what they're doing and in their positioning and that you know freelancers are really kind of good established strong businesses just like any other so they shouldn't be afraid of having a contract in place and they shouldn't be afraid of being able to respond to a client going yes or no I don't have a contract in place I think the bigger the clients are or the more sophisticated they are you know I think it is a bit strange uh, for example if, if a freelancer doesn't have a contract in place it kind of gives an indication that they might be just starting out or not that serious or perhaps it kind of indicates their professionalism which isn't always the case at all but you know sometimes when you haven't necessarily got much to go on it is one of those kind of key sort of indicators of how sophisticated or established a freelancer activity yet. So let's say I'm a, I mean, I am a freelancer, but I'm, I'm a freelancer starting out and I want to put a contract together and it's something that I haven't done before and I'm, I'm going to work with someone. What are the kind of essential clauses that you need inside that agreement to make sure that it is binding? Yeah, that's a really cool question, actually. I think like contracts can often seem super daunting, especially for freelancers that don't like have a big structure or a company necessarily behind them. I think the sort of key clauses for anything and coming back back to my comment just now you know even if you're sort of two independent freelancers collaborating together um things can still go wrong and you still sort of need to be protected so the kind of key clauses goes for whatever nature your relationship is whether it's a big client little client medium one two freelancers so i think the first thing is just to like identify the parties like you know who's contracting who's the client and who's providing the services so that that's super clear if you're working with a company make sure that they're registered and incorporated and actually exist actually have had quite an established client a couple of months back who had paid over a huge sum of money to a to an entity that actually didn't exist at all and so it was just a complete sham and they didn't have their usual contract audit process in place so I think firstly know who you're contracting with and know the identity of the parties is a massive key one Mm -hmm. I think the next clause would probably be a description of the services to be provided and this is where it's super important to set that out to avoid things like scope creep and things being included that 
that you didn't necessarily think were included or you know where you need to charge additional fees for things and I guess that brings me on to the next thing the next clause is about fees and price you know if you're doing a fixed fee what that includes if you can revise the fees at any point what your hourly rate would be when it defaults to an hourly rate or not if there's a cap on fees and then that brings me on to payment because no one wants to work for free so the next clause would be you know payment terms how you're going to be paid by bank transfer or by bitcoin or whatever strange things people want to do you know if there's an abort fee for example if the client pulls the plug do they still have to pay you for the time that you've committed the possibility to charge interest for example on late payment or suspend services if you haven't been paid because obviously you can't keep working for free if the client doesn't come up and pay your bills i suppose the next points really depend on what sort of services are being provided so for example in relation to intellectual properties of things like copyrights or trademarks or designs or anything like that if you're a creative freelancer providing text or doing design work generating logos prototypes or anything like that you'd want to have some clauses around intellectual property like who owns them like typically it would be the client that owns the deliverables but you might want to put parameters around that when it transfers you know is it once you've been paid that it transfers or is it as and when you create things similarly as well a clause related to data processing and that can be quite a technical area with the UK GDPR or the EU GDPR depending on where you're based and what you're processing again the importance of that might depend it could be that there's some services that have no personal data involved it could be that other services are solely processing personal data if you're providing insights and analytics for example so there's some legal requirements about how that looks and getting that in place that's something definitely is an important clause to have I guess another clause would be the governing law and dispute resolution so for example if you're based in England and Wales you might actually want to have the contract governed by English and Welsh law Uh, if you're based in Spain for example you might want the courts to be Madrid (laughs) you might want the governing law to be Spanish that will depend where you're based and where the client's based likewise with dispute resolution it's always nice to put a clause in where you try to resolve things amicably over a certain period of time and then you can kind of take court action if you needed to so I think the key clauses the ones I've listed out is who are you contracting with what are the services what are the fees how are you getting paid and what to do if it goes wrong ancillary to those is intellectual property and data protection clauses depending on what you're doing and I suppose one big one that I probably should have mentioned as well is about term and termination so how long the services are going to be provided for how the client can terminate I referred to it briefly with the idea of an abort fee you know is it a fixed term or not is there notice periods what happens when you terminate the contract what happens to the work what happens to you know training up a replacement what happens to information that you're holding all that kind of thing so yeah quite a few <laughs> the key clauses to be honest <laughs> yeah that's a lot to uh, to keep in mind isn't it <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah. just when you start unpacking it you start realizing you know if you are going out there and working without a contract you're going in blind with a lot of these things you're going in not knowing if there's a fee an abort fee or if you're going to charge interest so yeah, yeah it's good to have it outlined in that way yeah it's good to kind of agree beforehand because you know normally when you're
you're putting a contract together, you haven't started working yet. So you're not in a loss making situation. You're not being held hostage because you're not being paid and you've got mortgages and rent and other bills to pay. Maybe even, you know, other freelancers if you've subcontracted, for example. So yeah, it's definitely worth getting like all the key terms and conditions sort of out there and not being afraid to raise them with the client. I often notice that with freelancers, sometimes they might just sign a client's contract sort of blindly or they just feel a bit afraid to kind of put themselves forward and assert it. A number of times, oh, you know, I think the rate's a bit low. You know, it's already a big deal to try and discuss the commercial elements, but the legal ones are super important as well. And so at the outset, the parties usually get on. So it's the perfect time to, you know, get this in place. And if the client's being super difficult, it does give you a bit of an insight into how it might be working with them. So you might want a get out clause in the termination thing. And then obviously it's a massive protection then to have those in place already signed up. So then if something does happen, like you haven't been paid or I don't know, they're using the deliverables in a way that wasn't agreed, at least then you've got something to fall back on to protect yourself. I think just from speaking to you, I already knew a contract was important, but after what you said, it's like, okay, whoa, it's scary. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's just like, it's super, super important, but you don't realize it until you actually start talking about it. You know, like you say Charlotte what would be the kind of repercussions if someone broke the terms of the contract what's that kind of process look like that's a good question and obviously we're talking about all the horrible negative things that happen here and this is like the minority of cases obviously hopefully we've all got really amazing lovely clients that respect the contracts and nothing happens but in the what if um, parallel universe um, I guess the first thing is I mentioned it about the type of clauses you can have is to try to have you know like a dispute resolution clause like what happens if things go wrong and how you can come to the table to discuss that so say for example the client thinks you've reached something or you think the client has typically for example in relation to non-payment which is always one of the big ones it could be that you've got the right to suspend the services during the time that it's not paid it could be that you've got a dispute resolution clause where the parties can come to the table so you could send them an email saying hi under this clause I'd like to come and discuss this and you try and sort things out essentially and if within a certain time frame that you could put in the contract say 15 days 30 days it's not resolved then you could ultimately go to court so you know the ultimate kind of recourse for a party that hasn't respected the contract would be a court proceeding or litigation which sounds super scary and expensive and difficult so I think it's always useful to have like a kind of legal expenses insurance or some kind of cover involved just in case that does happen but I think in the majority of cases if you've got a well-drafted contract in place if, if the dispute does happen you can just kind of write to the other side that's not done what they said they would do and you can point them to the clauses in the contract so they can kind of already see that they're not compliant and quite often you can sort out a lot of issues just by going back and forth on that because they're also just as scared of going to court as you are really because it's the cost issue it's time issue and you know ultimately if the worst does happen the ultimate kind of legal redress would be a judgment either for you or against you you don't always win litigation obviously depending what the dispute's about and the judgment could order the other party to do certain things such as pay over certain money or it could be payment of certain sums of money that's owed or it could be like return of you know company property or something that they're compelled to do and then obviously if they still don't do things from there you can then enforce the judgment in various other ways I don't know an attachment of earnings to make sure that somebody's sort of earnings are seized so that you can get the money paid to you but that's going really really far down the track redress is there it's always 
better to have a contract in place because if stuff has gone wrong, that's the first thing I ask to see is the invoices, the contract, any schedules, any annexes, any other emails that may or may not have changed things along the way. Without that in place, it just leaves you pretty vulnerable to being able to then rely on that ultimate solution in court if you had to. The contract's really like the best evidence in a way about what was initially agreed. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think without that in place, it's kind of hard to prove who said what in in a lot of cases. Um, I I just wanted to touch on um, the kind of cost of taking something to court. Uh, I think for a lot of freelancers, that would put them off completely. So let's say you've tried all of the means, you've you've done what's outlined in the contract, you've kind of tried mediation and something's still not quite right. A, how would they go about starting court proceedings? And B, how expensive is that likely to be? Honestly, it completely depends on the nature of the claim and the value of the claim. And I guess it depends whether they felt like they would want to take it on themselves personally or whether they'd rather instruct a law firm or a solicitor to take it on for them. You know, if they want to take it on personally, that might be okay. For example, there's a system to do money claims online. You can do kind of debt recovery proceedings pretty easily through like a dedicated website with the courts. I think the first thing to do though is when you're looking at your like professional indemnity insurance is also to see if you've got any like legal expenses cover or legal expenses insurance to cover the costs of these sort of claims. I think that's always a safe thing as well. So if you do have a dispute or something turns up, first thing to do is to check your insurance policies if you have cover. If you don't, you are a bit stuck for this case, but you could look at it for next time. And then you should contact the insurer ASAP to see whether you've got cover for it and whether you need to use their solicitors, you can use your own or represent yourself. And then what sort of access you might have. So that'll give you an idea of the cost and the ballpark figure. Um, You know, if it's a small claim, sort of under £5,000, it could even be £10,000 now, honestly, I haven't done litigation for such a long time. But typically, the court fees are much cheaper. And so you can pretty much pay the court fee and then run the action. But if you win, the thing with the small claims is that costs aren't usually recoverable. So if you did engage a solicitor for that proceeding, like that would kind of sit with you because you wouldn't be able to claim it against the party that was in the wrong. But then obviously, if you've got a really huge case, or it's something related to data protection, or intellectual property, or some massive dispute, it could get pretty significant, you know, the legal fees, if it goes further for a higher amount could be super significant. Like, honestly, I couldn't even give you a ballpark figure, it just really depends on the complexity, but it could quite quickly outweigh the kind of overall value of the contract. And so that's another good point, actually, is to kind of secure yourself as a freelancer, not just, you know, getting expensive like firstly professional indemnity insurance and secondly like legal expenses cover just related to the running of your business and then maybe other things as well for example confidentiality breaches cyber security or IP claims depending on what you're doing I think the other thing is also to make sure that you've got a good cap on liability in the agreement so if you did accidentally fall into this scenario of something being really big I often say that like a contract's complexity is not always about how long it is or what the value is you can have a very short contract for like 500 pounds but if it's touching on something super difficult like IP and there could be an infringement because somebody might have copied and pasted someone else's work or it's a trademark that's super similar to somebody else's it could nonetheless be significant even if it's quite small value so it's always important to get the right clauses in place the right insurances in place and perhaps try to cap your liability under the contract as much as you can and then perhaps try and cap that either to like 100% of fees paid under the contract or if you've got that insurance um, to the maximum cap of that you know whatever that might be it could be 500,000 it could be a million pounds and then you've got some kind of idea of potential exposure if it did go to court so if the costs seem 
my watering or difficult at least you know you've got some kind of insurance to fall back on that, that's important I think yeah having insurance as well as good contracts yeah. say someone has found a contract online or they've drafted it themselves so they haven't kind of got legal advice or got a lawyer to draft it for them and then something goes wrong with their client and they end up going to court or dispute resolution or whatever would let's say the contract wasn't necessarily massively legally binding but it was it had the basic principles that you mentioned would you say that the court or whoever's kind of deciding this situation would look at the contract and think okay well the attentions are clear here so therefore we understand what the agreement is between these two parties basically my question is how binding does the contract need to be (laughs) yeah no I know what you mean and you know what for a contract to be binding it doesn't even necessarily have to be written it can be an oral contract I can promise to sell you a pen and you can agree to buy it and we agree on the price and then I never give you the pen and that's it the trouble is unless we're on a podcast being recorded and there's some kind of evidential proof i.e normally in writing it's really hard to rely on because I could just go to court and say I didn't ever say that you know so a contract can be binding whether it's in writing or not and you know normally for a contract to be binding like to get it to really boring kind of law terms there has to be like an offer and acceptance and it has to be for consideration which is usually money or something equating to money so usually it's going to be money but it could just be as well I don't know it could be like a subscription to something or like a discount voucher or anything you know you can end up coming into a contract in a wide variety of ways and so if a freelancer's gone along and just downloaded a contract off of Google or copied it from someone they think is doing something similar to them actually literally saw this today from a client that was pretty established but wanted to start breaking out into a new territory and they'd actually stolen someone else's contract I had actually seen before from a supplier and half of it was in French and half of it was in English and it was just a complete mess and I was like you can't seriously be using that it doesn't look professional like a bad contract is just as bad as a as no contract in terms of professionalism but in terms of things being binding like typically especially because we're in business this is b2b we're not in b2c territory like a freelancer may be working as a sole trader but they're still in business on their own account so the court would typically look at the contract and go you've signed it and you know a contract is essentially the law between the parties so even if it's terrible it would still be binding and the judge has got usually some discretion to kind of look at the intention of the clauses but that's really really complex you might have to go looking into correspondence and emails and also usually the contract would have something called entire agreement clause which then excludes anything else that happened prior to the contract being signed and you know again it depends on what clauses are in the agreement but the judge may be limited to what they can and can't strike out so I think the contract's going to be binding even if it's a terrible one in some really bad cases it might be better to have no contract than a really bad one that you don't fully understand because the court would probably uphold it if you've signed it um so I think it's just about putting that business mindset on and if you do not understand every single clause in your contract whether you've downloaded it from Google or had it done for you by a solicitor or the client's given you their contract don't sign it because if you don't understand it you shouldn't be legally bound to it um you should get clarification on it and if you're not happy to seek to try and negotiate and get it changed that's the massive danger with just finding things online or borrowing a friend's contract or, or one you had with your old job because it might not be exactly fit for you know what you're hoping it means if that makes sense yeah and just on that a lot of people obviously use chat gpt for, for a range of things you can use it for writing you can use it for well creating almost anything you can imagine what would you say to someone who was considering using that to write their 
contract because perhaps they can put in what they need and it'll take everything from the internet and come up with a sort of a simulation of of a contract what would you say to someone who was going to do that and what are the drawbacks and also what are the chances of them creating a contract that fulfills all of their needs I really love chat GPT as a concept and as an idea and I'm really keen on the use of technology and law because I think a lot of things can be automated so just caveating everything I'm going to say with that I think like the difficulty of using it when you're not a lawyer is that you're not really sure on how to rely on the answers so just to give you an example I had one of my trainees do a bit of GDPR research and we used chat GPT as a, just as a test really to have a bit of fun with it and the answer that it came out with was something that I'd expect from a second or third year law student you know where they've got the gist but you know probably like 30% of it's wrong or not just not quite right which is okay when you're just doing a university exam but for real life it's probably not that great to rely on but what it can do as a machine is super amazing you know if I were to ask ChatGPT, give me a clause on liability and it would come up with something and I'd be able to kind of look at that and adapt it and, and, and redo it with like the experience training and kind of common sense that I have um so I think one of the issues with it is that I think firstly it, it doesn't have much knowledge of like world events I think before 2021 is it I never know it always says that when you log in so there's quite a lot of things that have changed for example especially in relation to GDPR and privacy that's changing constantly so it's not always updated so you might end up with something out of date legally speaking um I think the other thing is that it doesn't really have much common sense um and it's pretty much like limited with the information that you put in so it might not be able to make clauses which fit you know the commercial arrangements that you might have in place with a client I think to try and draft a whole contract on chat GBT would be super hard I think the limitation is like 3,000 words as well so just in terms of length I, I just don't know how that would work I think it would be quite risky to do it because you might end up with clauses that are kind of essentially data mined and drafted on the basis of instructions and unless you're a lawyer you might not know what instructions to put in so if you put rubbish in you get rubbish out in the nicest possible way not saying that lawyers wouldn't put rubbish in either but um, it's just then checking the output would be super difficult so it'd be really hard to rely on it and it kind of comes back to you know just downloading or copying a template like if you don't fully understand the answer that it's given and that kind of nuances and interpretation and, and how that can fit together or even if it's up to date like from a legal law perspective like it would be kind of risky to use but then you know chat gpt is in its infancy so you could come and ask me the question in like another five years and <laughs> we can see what how it would be then but honestly using chat gpt for writing a contract is probably not much better than just copying and pasting terms and conditions of someone else's website probably a bit dangerous and comes back to what holly was saying about you might end up signing something that's accidentally legally enforceable that you didn't really expect it would be so yeah handle with care yeah makes sense actually i mean i think it's kind of an obvious question isn't it because we've seen so many cases of even lawyers themselves trying to use chat gpt in court and it coming up with cases that didn't even exist so why would you use it in your own contracts you know if lawyers are making mistakes with it then normal people who are not lawyers are going to make mistakes with it <laughs> yeah no a hundred percent and honestly it's it's been really cool to test it out from our perspective as well like i said it gives you something that like a first or second year law student would be capable of producing which is really good but at the same time would you really want a first or second year law student taking care of your contract and you're putting all your eggs in that basket like no offense at all like because we all have to go through that training aspect but when it comes down to your livelihood and your business and your reputation it's probably better to just err on the side of caution and maybe just do things the traditional way or I don't know with like a tech enabled firm or 
using other solutions that you might have, but that might be a bit more kind of secure and almost vetted, as it were, rather than using kind of open source free AI, essentially. Yeah, definitely. So on that note, then, what advice would you give to freelancers who want a simple contract that they can use for their services? Yeah, I suppose they can always go down the kind of traditional route, as it were, and contact a law firm and give instructions and discuss with sort of lawyers about putting in place standard terms and conditions or reviewing a client agreement, for example, that might have been issued to them. There's also, you know, templates that are available online from more reputable sources, for example, like Chamber of Commerce or or things like that, or the Intellectual Property Office might have some different templates depending on what you're doing. But again, the kind of online templates, even if they're from more vetted sources, aren't necessarily personalised. So, you know, it is also possible to use things like LegalBot, which are created, for example, over on our website for the firm, we've got a contract portal, which is basically a contract sitting behind the scenes, which contains all of the clauses that you typically expect, for example, in an NDA or a service agreement with lots of different options that I've personally seen over the however many 15 plus years I've been doing this. And then we've kind of developed this interface, which is a bit like a kind of WhatsApp chat where you can answer a series of questions. And then behind the scenes, the little bot does its work and then edits the contract much like a lawyer would do based on the answers that you've given. So it then emails you like a more personalized version of the template based on the information that you put in. And because the information that you put in like sets certain triggers, you know that the clause that it would pull through has been drafted in a kind of legally compliant way, as it were, to match the question that you've input. So I think it's kind of a good sort of compromise between going to a traditional law firm, which may seem sort of costly or a bit slow, and then downloading something on Google or using ChatGPT, it's kind of that middle ground. So it gives freelancers a safety net, like, okay, this contract has actually been drafted by a lawyer, but I can interact with it through a bot and get something much quicker and much cheaper than if I just rang them up directly. And then the cool thing is with our portal is that it is there as a kind of legal tech platform. But because a law firm's behind it, we're always on hand. If there was something in the contract that wasn't quite right, or you know, we've had users of that portal ring us up or send us an email wanting to go through the contract for a quick sanity check as well. And the thing is, is the bot can be reused and you can answer different questions each time. So it may be that terms and conditions change from one client to the next. So you can always tweak and adapt the contract. You get it in a Word version, so then you can just edit it and change it as you need. But it definitely gives like a quick automatic almost, apart from chatting with the bot, which is something you can do it at four in the morning if you're awake in the middle of the night stressing about your client meeting <laughs> I know I've been there as the founder of the firm myself um, and then you know you've got something a bit more secure and a bit more professional and adapted to the case at hand rather than just sort of relying on copying and pasting with a Google a Google search no that's really cool and it's I guess it's personal unlike if you download something online or use chat, chat GPT but also it's kind of automated automatic and and easy to use because sometimes it can be daunting going to a lawyer or a, I don't know a solicitor to draft a contract like Charlotte I won't c- catch you going to a solicitor's office with that <laughs> it's not my vibe (laughs) yeah no that's the thing and I think solicitors have got a really bad rep and a lot of them aren't you know a lot of them are evolving and adapting with the times and a lot of them aren't because the business models are set in a certain way so they have to have certain fees that are applied to different services because that's how the business model's set up just like everybody else so sometimes the more traditional routes can't always provide you with something that's within budget Um, on the other side to that obviously lawyers and law firms and solicitor services 
things aren't free as such and they can't be free because you know we're in business much as anybody else is but I think you have to look as well sometimes at not necessarily what the contract's going to cost you up front but like the overall value and protection it can bring to your business in the long run if I say to a client oh yeah it's going to cost you a thousand pounds for this and they kind of jump up and down but it's actually for a deal that's worth fifty thousand it's also about weighing things up I think the contract portal and the automated style of contract is really great and it's definitely like responding to a need that we've seen on the market as that kind of hybrid of you don't have to go into a law firm you can just do it safely from your home you can get a really decent contract that can be used for like a fraction of the cost of instructing a traditional lawyer but then you've got a lawyer on hand to go back to um if you did need anything um and we're like a digitally native firm anyway we do have an office but like typically all of our clients meet us you know through zoom or teams or google hangouts or whatever it might be but i think it is about sort of finding that balance and trying to make the legal process and the contract process less daunting for people and actually more accessible so that costs and legal fees shouldn't be a barrier for freelancers being freelancers being able to run a fully successful business whilst being like legally and contractually protected as well wonderful yeah i think that gives a lot of people peace of mind like certainly myself the idea of having a little bit more autonomy over how you're distributing your finances and not spending a whole load of money on a lawyer if you can't afford it um but also still being able to protect yourself so yeah it's definitely about striking that balance 100 percent. if people don't know where to kind of find your contract portal do you want to explain where it is (laughs) yeah so if anyone wanted to check out the contract portal they could do so by visiting our website so it's www.gerishlegal.com i think there's going to be something in the podcast blurb as well of how to get there so g-e-r-r-i-s-h legal l-e-g-a-l all one word.com and then if you go to the top right hand corner there's a little icon there that says contract portal so then when you click on it it takes you to like a dedicated space on the website and it displays the two contracts that we've actually automated at the moment so there's an nda confidentiality agreement non-disclosure agreement and also a service agreement which you can use uh, if you're the freelancer providing the services or even if you're buying services in so if you're a freelancer that's subcontracting for example or getting someone to help you on a project you can use it both ways um so if you click on either one it gives you a bit more of a description about the contents and why it's useful and why it's helpful and also we thought that we'd give all of the listeners a little bit of a discount as well uh just in case anyone wants to go through and purchase contract through the portal so if you complete through the checkout and just follow the instructions for whichever type of contract you want and then if in capitals you put portal 20 so p-o-r-t-a-l 20 and that's all attached then it will give you 20 percent off the overall pet price that's very kind for our listeners thank you charlotte <laughs> this has been really eye-opening for for me for someone who doesn't know much about it so i think you've really given a good overview of what people need to know about contract law and, and when they're kind of operating as a sole trader yeah no definitely thank you my pleasure it's such an important topic and one that's really close to my heart and i've often said that when i set up my own business when i set up garish legal if i weren't a lawyer myself you know i would have really really struggled putting together all of the legal documentation so on that basis i wanted to be able to provide a solution for people like me but just working in different industries lovely thank you so much cool you're welcome thanks for having me You've been listening to Help, I'm a Freelancer. See you again next week. Bye. Bye.